Welcome to another PS84 podcast. I'm Mr. Acevedo here with Miss Anita. Miss Anita, welcome. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Happy Monday to you, Mr. Acevedo. That's right. Happy Monday it is. And um, it's really raining out there. Yes, it's a soggy Monday indeed. Yep. Cats and dogs. Cats and dogs. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Did you wear your rain boots to school today? I did, actually. Yeah. Very soggy day out there today. It is mm-hmm. nice day to stay home and sleep. Yes, a very good day for that. No. It's and chicken soup. Chicken soup yeah. with a soda on the side. No, no soda. No, you're supposed to come to school mm-hmm. and learn. Mm-hmm. How to make chicken soup. <laughs> <laughs> with a soda on the side. Uh, no soda. That's a song. Is chicken it? noodle soup with a soda on the side. I never heard of it. Really? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it for you. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, um, so what's going on? What's new? Not much. We just had um, Family Fun Fitness Night. Are you feeling fit? I am. Really? Yep. Did you have fun? <laughs> <laughs> it was very engaging. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't Zumba. But did you? No, oh, you I didn't. didn't. Oh, no. okay. You don't want to see me <laughs> zumba Actually, I would like to see you Zumba, Mr. Acevedo. <laughs> no. Oh. Actually, I, I can dance a little. I'm sure you can. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Did we have a nice turnout? I think we did, actually. Maybe about 50 to 60 families. Oh, That's cool. a lot. Cool. That's good. That's good. And that's on the heels of the um, basketball, um, the March Madness that we had. We had a, a nice turnout for that as well. We did. That was a lot of fun. That was. I hit a three-pointer. Just, just saying. Nobody recorded that, right? No. Oh, okay. But it happened. Did it really? <laughs> <laughs> Were you embedding your PJs when it happened? No, it. I took a shot, went uh-huh. in for three. Uh huh. Yeah. Then I took another shot and I missed the entire basket for uh-huh. an air ball. Why do but- I believe that one? <laughs> <laughs> it was a good game. A lot of parents came out. Yeah, it was. Very fun. Very engaging. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, so tell us about this podcast you had. Uh, well, we had uh, Dr. Lisa Dubinsky, who's a good friend of ours. She returned um, for another workshop, and this time the topic was uh, teaching empathy to our young uh, children and um, just uh, helping them engage with um, their peers and developing healthy friendships. So not all friendships are healthy, and... Uh, just giving families and parents and caregivers tips on how to help the young ones navigate through their various friendships. Hey, good day everyone. It's Miss Anita from PS84 and I'd like to welcome our friend, uh, Dr. Lisa Dubinsky. Uh, She's a clinical psychologist. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, nice Um, to be here. I'm glad to see you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what exactly does a clinical psychologist do? Sure. Uh, so I've been a psychologist for about 20 years, and um, I mainly work with kids and teenagers and their families, although I do see some adults. And uh, a lot of what I do is to help families where a child is having some difficulty. So that's a general statement. Mm-hmm. So the difficulty could be behavioral problems at home, behavioral problems at school, 
And in that situation, I try to understand kind of what, what's going on inside the child that's mm -hmm. causing them to behave inappropriately. Right. So like seeing the behavior is really like a symptom of something that's troubling the child or something right. that's very difficult for the child. Um, another part of what I, another reason that families come to see me is because there's some uh, transition or some event in the family that's causing a lot of stress or you know, like, like a separation or a divorce or a death right. and illness, death in the family. So something that really no one could, well, it's not, it's not in the child's control and some of the, right. some things that are not even in the family's control and that anyone would have some trouble dealing with. So basically life's events and how they impact an individual child. And so exactly. do you work with families as a whole. Do you include mm -hmm. the parents? Do you include um, perhaps the child's teachers or school staff? Yes. Yeah. Um, Especially if the child's having difficulty in the classroom uh, any of any kind, mm -hmm. um, then I, I certainly want to, if, if the parents give me permission I will talk with the teachers for some young kids I actually go and observe in the classroom because mm -hmm. I learned so much uh, that way just mm -hmm. by seeing the child in his environment oh. and most little kids actually like it okay um, so Lisa Dr. Lisa um, <laughs> you just fine. come down from uh, um, one of our parent workshops this morning mm -hmm. and the topic of discussion was supporting your child's friendships and navigating various relationships and yeah. you touched on empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us some insight as to what was discussed during this morning's um, workshop sure. and some of the questions that some of the parents may have had for you? Sure. Um, I started out by talking about empathy and how parents can help a child to develop empathy because that's part of uh, really having uh, healthy friendships. Mm -hmm. And what I talked about first was kind of de defining empathy. So one, one definition, part of a definition is the ability to, um, to understand another person's point of view and then to, or another person's feelings about mm -hmm. something and to care about their, those feelings and maybe to act accordingly or at right. least to take it into consideration. Right. Um, so there's a cognitive or intellectual aspect to it and a social emotional aspect. Um, for example, um, one thing I touched on was something called the theory of mind. So being a, like able to understand that someone might have a different opinion than me mm -hmm. um, and or that they're having feelings that might be different from mine. Right. So kids learn how to do that really from day one. Of they learn how to read um, someone the, another person's facial expressions right. and to, to know that their face the face the facial expression has a meaning. Right. So babies learn that. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. There's all these experiments now and babies reading their mothers or who are their caregivers' mm -hmm. face, and then their face mirrors it so uh and tone of voice as well mm -hmm. that's really from day one that kids respond to tone of voice um and later on you're you're thinking about uh imagining that someone what someone else is trying to figure out what someone else is thinking um or feeling and and it's it's called in general perspective taking okay. so that by somewhere around two and a half a child could maybe not be able to articulate it but they can kind of know that you know, mommy doesn't like chocolate ice cream, and I do. That would be mm -hmm. a very simple kind right. of thing. Um, or mommy's feeling sad, so I'm not feeling sad right now, but I see mommy is not feeling happy about mm -hmm. something. So that that's the beginning. Um, 
And then the other part of that is being motivated to care about that. So this is where, this is what's important for friendships. Right. Um, you can have friendships where a child doesn't care that much, but is still like trying to control other kids, you know, right. and um, like knowing how to control other kids and, and how to, and, and kind of, you'll, sometimes you'll have a child who gravitates towards other kids who can easily be controlled. And, and, and right. so, so that is one kind of friendship, but that's not the usual friendship that parents want to encourage well sometimes uh parents may misconstrue that as oh well my child's a natural born leader um watch how they can have the children the other children gravitate toward them and then they set the tone or they decide what game is going to be played or what toy is going to be played with so they may take that as being uh leadership qualities that's that's a really good point um (laughs) Yes, but everything like everything that that we were talking about today is is just to a degree, mm-hmm. and you want to help your child to have more of a balance. Right. So if you see that your child is like that's kind of the only way that they can play. So if they're not in charge, if they're not the leader, they they pull out of the game, okay. or they they kind of they back off. That then that's a problem. I'm not saying it's a huge problem, but it's you know it's mm-hmm. like at age four or five, but it's something that the parents should really notice and 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 think about um or if a child's like always gravitating towards younger children who Mm -hmm. might be easier to control Mm -hmm. um and staying away from their peers or older kids Mm -hmm. um so because in life you're not going to always be able to be in control of every social situation so even if that is your child's strength of being a leader you want to eventually help them to be able to handle situations where they're not in charge. Right. Is it always about control? Can a child just have a natural instinct to nurture? Um, Perhaps a child that has been accustomed to being around younger children. And I find that to be the case like in um, daycare settings Mm -hmm. where not all of the children are of the same age. Right. um, But yet they're still too young for uh, a typical uh, preschool setting. So you have the older child that will... uh, try to nurture the younger child whether they're crying about a broken oh. toy um or well they, that's lovely when that happens it is it and is that's that you see an, a different kind like a, a kind of empathy that, yes. that the older child senses either it's obvious because the younger child's crying yes or they just kind of all of a sudden look crestfallen or upset and the older child's going over to comfort them or, right. or help them problem solve right so That's then this wonderful. child this child transitions into a regular school setting mm-hmm. and a, in a classroom where all of the children are basically the same age mm-hmm. and then tries to implement or impose ah. that same nurturing right. and is mistaken for being uh, controlling or um, it's not re- well received right and it leaves the child and I mentioned this because I, I have witnessed firsthand a family where um, a four-year-old came from a preschool setting or a daycare setting mm-hmm. and being the older child of the group went from nurturing the younger children to now being in a classroom full of um, children that are the same age right. and their efforts are being mistaken for controlling um, or 
that's so interesting yeah. that situation um, it's confusing so, for the child right so in that situation you would hope that the teacher would be sensitive to that and also maybe try to, to talk to the child about mm-hmm. what like to first figure out what's in that child's mind especially in if they know a little bit of the history mm-hmm. of what happened the year before um, but also to see if the child can articulate a little bit mm-hmm. of, of how you know what they're trying to do with the other kids right. and then the teacher can just put it in context like oh you know like so so that the child doesn't feel um, chastised or put down at right. all but right. like but 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 almost like the, a teaching opportunity for like mm-hmm. oh now you're with kids who are all your age and they don't they don't need you to do right. that for them it's wonderful that you do that with younger kids but but now it's a little different so let's figure out how to make it easier mm-hmm. that sort of thing okay. how much input should a parent have in their child's uh, friendship making process um, some kids the, don't need a whole lot, but right. you'll know. But if but some kids really do need their parents to to help out, and by that I mean like let's say at age three and four, uh, when you know to set up play dates, mm-hmm. right, and to figure out who would be a good match. And sometimes you're just you're going with your the kids of the adults that you like or right. that you feel connected to, and sometimes that works out really well, mm-hmm. and sometimes not. So once a child's in a class, you can ask the teacher, who does my child gravitate towards, and then try to connect with those parents to have to have play dates. Okay, that's that, a good that idea. Would be one Sometimes thing. the parents get along better than the children <laughs> right. in a group. Um, that can be a little um, frustrating. That reminds me of something that came up in the in our workshop today, which is that some we were talking about kids who can be exclusionary and say like two girls saying to a third you can't play with us, or mm-hmm. something like that. And that sometimes the parents do it in their groups. Yes. And so not that no one, no adult's gonna actually come out and say you can't join us, but it's clear that there's some, there are clicks among the adults and then it, it filters down to the kids. And, and how that can be a problem. Yeah, it's amazing how the adults do not see it in themselves um, right. as it's playing out um, and yet, they are concerned if their child is left out of a play group right. or um, a gathering. So um, we also talked, or one of the two of the parents actually brought up um, how they wished that the teachers had dealt with it in a more direct way. So that, for example, if there were one situation, there was a, I think this was in the kindergarten class. Oh, no, I can't, I'm sorry, fours or fives. So three girls who are very tight and then really were exclusionary. And that when the parents brought it up to the teacher, she said, well, this is, you know, this is just what happens. And didn't see it. It, it, it was her role to help manage this oh, or yes. to help the, the click girls mm-hmm. to expand or to at least not say anything kind of I mean. See. Um, so, but I do. I personally do see it as one of the, the teachers' role to help in that situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, teachers play a vital role in um, the socialization of our children during uh, school. So that's something that uh, we may uh, visit. Um, but that's very telling. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I think each of us who work in a school setting with young children play a very important role. Um, there are things that each of us see during different parts of the day that um, we can uh, 
redirect mm -hmm. into in a more positive direction right um, so it, I mean the children need to learn um, and this is uh, this is a point in time where they're learning uh, learning good habits right lifelong to, habits right? yeah learning to care about uh, other kids feelings so even if they're that the, another child isn't your friend mm -hmm. you still have to act in a, at least a civil way right and, but right. but explaining that to kids in, in vocabulary that they understand are there many opportunities that parents may overlook where they can teach their child about empathy or enhance uh, absolutely um, we, and we did talk about that so at home uh, there if they're siblings there's just natural opportunities every day of trying to help like the older child understand that the younger child like a two-year-old doesn't understand how precious your Lego creation mm -hmm. is or something mm -hmm. like that so the parent needs to for example with a Lego to help the older child protect their Lego their, you know so that the younger child can't get to it right. and at the same time trying to teach that the younger child's perspective which is hard like for a five-year-old to really understand that a two-year-old isn't isn't doesn't mean to be aggressive Right. They're just, this is what kids are like at this age. They're not careful with right. other things. Um, so that is also part of, part of empathy. Also, in terms of how the child, um, how a child be behaves on a play date, those mm -hmm. are really, so sometimes parents, if the kids are getting along fairly well, or if there's another parent there, you're really just socializing with the parent. But if you pay more attention to what's going on, um, then that can, you can learn a lot about the subtleties of the child's interaction with, with his friend. Right. And so sometimes you might actually intervene. Mm -hmm. um, especially if you know your child's got, there's some, he has some difficulty with that, then you want to pay more attention. Right. Oh, one other thing yes. I just thought of is also how the child treats the parent. So for example, um, if your child is mad at you and he hits you, mm -hmm you you can that's a teachable moment even though you might be really incensed at the moment you and so you might want to do the teaching right 10 minutes later but to say two things one is you know there's no hitting in this family but i can see you're really mad so you want to acknowledge to the child his feelings and, and say i want to hear about how mad you are right i want and and we can we can i can help you with your feeling but but there's no, but you can't hit me. Right. That, so both of those things can happen. Okay. Um, when is there a crossroads, or is there a crossroads when teaching your child about empathy and encountering and cultural differences? Um, mm, so do you mean like, um, well, one thing that maybe this is what you're talking about that came up today is how much do you teach a child to stand up for themselves? Uh, that sort of thing pretty much um yeah like um if your child's really being pushed around physically pushed around do you teach your child to go to a an adult do you teach your child to hit back that sort of thing yes. i would say um that's a pretty common issue mm -hmm. um but i think that for young kids i personally don't encourage children hitting back um i think that they they need to get an adult because they're just too young to understand all the all the everything that's going on mm -hmm. and to put it in context, and so the adult can help the child who's being uh, hurt, as well as the child who's doing the hurting, 
and, and also perhaps help them talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this reminds me that someone, a couple of parents were talking about how they tell their kids not to be a tattletale on their sibling. Right. And I don't like that term or that concept too much because little kids need to tell the adult because the adult can put everything into perspective. Absolutely, I agree with you. So it's not until you're, I I don't know, even like seven or eight-year-olds, I don't think that they can figure all these things out on their own. Right. Um, So I'm not saying the adult should swoop in and do it all, Mm -hmm. but the adult can come in and help the two kids to have a discussion and to problem-solve. So there the adult is teaching problem-solving skills, um, teaching a different way of handling conflict, Mm -hmm. And also just demonstrating about how these things can be worked out. I'm trying to figure out what would be the downside to tattletaling on your sibling. I mean, wouldn't it offer the parent an opportunity, as you said, to elaborate on the behaviors going on? Um, Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, But there is this, uh, I don't know if this is kind of American culture or what, what culture it is, but there is like this, the tattletale really has a bad sound to it yeah and I um I mean I guess if if a if a kid if a if one child actually one parent brought up a a, an example from the classroom where her child is always telling the teacher like so and so isn't cleaning up or she dropped she didn't put her her paper in the right bin or something Mm -hmm. like that almost like you know becoming the assistant teacher Mm -hmm. and telling and that and the mom thought that maybe that was an example of tattling um but that's what that child needs to do and the teacher can say you know thank you so much but really i'm i'm in charge i can take care of it right uh i wouldn't label it as as tattling and telling the child not to do it anymore right um okay um did you get any questions from outside of the box this morning during the um Uh, the workshop uh, yes. Uh, I'm, of course, not naming names for confidentiality okay. <laughs> reasons, but some some families might have this issue where um, uh, there might be like a, a single parent or a parent who's living with family members of another generation, mm-hmm. and so where there's it, the the let's say the grandparents are really uh, overstepping their role. Uh, and and how and the impact that has on a child. Right. Um, so there are just so many situations in yes. which a parent really has to. I mean, it's hard enough with you know figuring out how to best raise your child, but if you're also dealing with the generation above you, interfering. I mean, even if you're not living together, par- grandparents often do this. But if you're living together, they're doing it on a daily basis. Right. But I do talk to parents a lot about. <clears throat> Grandparents who are, you know, undercut them, okay. uh, and how to how to deal with that. Okay, um, I guess it's even more stressful when everyone is under the same roof. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, do you have any strategies to help that you want to share with us now to help uh, a single parent uh, who's under the thumb of maybe her parents and? Uh, um, I know it's a it's a it's hard thin um, line and. I, I guess I there I don't have any general advice other than it would be good to go and talk to a professional. Okay. I'm not, I'm not talking about weekly therapy, right. but maybe just a few sessions. 
But most importantly, no, no uh, discussions or disagreements should happen in front of the child. Right, that's true. Right. Um, but some kids, I would say most kids, are pretty savvy. Mm-hmm. And so they may be getting the impression from the grandparents that mom or dad, like that we're really the parents. Right. We're in charge here. Right. And your mom or your dad is, uh, you know, an assistant. Right. So listen to us. Oh, boy. Even without saying that. Right, right, I understand. So, Lisa, um, we are really excited that you have um, decided to come and share your expertise with us on a regular basis. Um, Happy to do it. We are planning a future workshop with you as well. Okay. Uh, Are you ready to discuss what that might be? Um, Well, actually, one workshop that someone mentioned it today, too, which is a workshop on um, how to talk to kids and prepare them for um, parents who are separating or divorcing. So um, someone mentioned today that they wish they had uh, could have gone to that workshop uh, or that there will be another one in the future. So. um, So. That's something we can look forward to from you. Right. Just to just to I mean, sometimes what's hard for parents is dealing with their own feelings mm-hmm. um, and that that's what gets in the way of, of like they say I don't know what to say to my kid but they kind of do they just are feeling so upset about it or so mixed right. about it then there's also the aspect of trying to find the right language um, depending on the child's age so or their their intellectual level because right. young kids are do not have abstract thinking yet and so you do, and so you don't want to use abstract language just okay. I'm trying to think of a good example in terms of, of talking to someone about talking to a child about someone dying um, you you know one of the there's a use euphemism that a lot of people use which is um, the euphemism of um, someone going to sleep or going to their eternal rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this is just from my childhood that I heard this a lot, and that's very—that's a fri- that, first of all, that's symbolic. It's mm-hmm. a—it's abstract because de- dying is not go- going to sleep, but for a child to be told something like that, it's—it's okay. it's terrifying. Because okay. then, but they go to sleep every night. Mommy goes to right. sleep. Does that mean like right. every time you go to sleep, you're in danger of dying? And and uh, and this and is sometimes how kids think. A layer of anxiety. Yeah. A lot of anxiety. So it's really good to stay simple and concrete. Okay. And if your child wants more, they usually ask for more information. Okay. Well, Lisa, it was very nice chatting with you. It's good to talk to always, you, too. It's good to see you. And we are looking forward to the next workshop and the next podcast. Okay. So this is Miss Anita, and we've been talking to Dr. Lisa Dubinsky. And uh, spring is right around the corner, folks. I hope. Um, <laughs> we'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye. Wow, that was very informative. I really enjoy Dr. Lisa and all of the wisdom that she shares with us. Yes, she's always very interesting. Yes, very informative, very interesting, and I hope our parents enjoyed it as well. Yes, gives great advice. So, Miss Anita, is Lisa coming back? Oh, of course. Um, we have a few more workshops that we will be inviting parents to, and they can look forward to uh, us sending those notifications home via uh, letters and on our calendars. So that brings our show to an end. Thank you, everyone, for listening.
Miss ha- Anita. Happy spring. Finally, it's here. That's um, right. Yes. And uh, we look forward to um, touching base with you soon. All right. Say goodbye, everyone. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. Chicken noodle soup. Chicken noodle soup. Chicken noodle soup with a soda on the side. Yeah. Chicken noodle soup. Yeah. Chicken noodle soup. Yeah. Chicken noodle soup yeah. with a soda on the side. Chicken noodle soup. Chicken. Chicken noodle soup. Noodle. Chicken noodle soup, soup. with a soda on the side. Yeah. Chicken noodle soup. The voice. Chicken noodle soup. Chicken yeah. noodle soup yeah. with a soda on the side. Let it rain. I clear it out. Well, no. I let it rain. I clear well, it out. Let's go. I let it rain. Let's go. I clear let's it go. Out. Let's go. 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 Let's go.